This is Tectonic, a weekly talk show revolving around the seismic shifts in technology culture and the digital age. This is episode number 27. I am Joe Darnell, and I am not joined today by my co-host because we are recording in the middle of the day and he has obligations at work. So with me is the guest, my uh, friend and writer online, Mr. Tim Challies. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. It's, it's great to have you back. We had you on episode five. We talked about your profession, your writing career, mm-hmm. your pastoral job up there in Canada. What part of Canada again? Just outside Toronto is where I live. Our church is right inside Toronto. Okay, excellent. I haven't made it up into that neck of the woods, but I do want to take the time to enjoy Canada one of these days. Yeah. I want to go from coast to coast, and maybe you could give us some recommendations. <laughs> I'd love to go coast to coast. I've been to both coasts. I haven't been everywhere between, so that's on my list of things to do as well. Oh, uh, okay. On the bucket list then. You got it. You got a speaking tour. You, you can always just uh, arrange a speaking tour, and you know, it'll be paid, all expenses paid <laughs> across the country, right? I can hope. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Well, we have two topics for you, Tim. I've been saving these up, and I'm I'm actually a little bit nervous about the one. We'll save it for last. Okay. I'm looking at my notes. I've been pondering these things for years. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say, some of your material is the most cohesive, thought-through, disciplined, decisive material that I've read online. Oh, well, good. I don't get the time to read many books, but I, I read your PDF about the issues of pornography. Yeah. And then it was many years ago, while reading your website, you addressed the issue of ads for your readers and how you wanted to run your website. Yeah. My main concern was that your perspective was actually some of the best that I found because you had a foundation. Right. Kind of went back to some basic moral principles. Yeah. You have a reason for your value of ethics and and how things ought to be run through a fair exchange, right? So sure. how do you prevent theft online? Well, there has to be a reciprocal like transaction. Yeah. Someone writes content for, quote, free. Then the visitors come to read the content for free. But really what's going on is there is a transaction that's taking place where advertisers yeah. are willing to pay for eyeballs. Right. And that is the only reason that someone can maintain the content of a website. Yeah. Uh, we'll just dive into the simpler thing. You know, there's been a lot of debate lately about ad blocking, which has come up for iOS products. Mm-hmm. You have ad blockers, which are readily available, some of them free, some of them you pay just a dollar or two for. You get that installed in your iOS device, and then the internet is transformed. You can go on there, get content, and walk away with free from distractions, free from the annoyances, the intrusions. And the tracking, making all of the internet a lighter load on your computer, your, your data, so that you can save some data and you will not run up the bill uh, by the end of the month. Mm-hmm. It just sounds like a win-win for all of the users. And I'm really wary about this because ad blockers have actually been around for a good long time because we've had ad blockers on our computers. We've had them on PCs and Macs. We've had them for web browsers, traditional web browsers, so that you can clean up Facebook and you can clean up, you know, Boing Boing or BuzzFeed, wherever you happen to land, so that you can see the funny thing and move on and get a better experience. Mm -hmm. But uh, ad blockers come at a price. And this was something that you addressed many years, Tim, with your website. Yours is uh, chalies.com. You write some terrific articles. I've been reading you, uh, your site now for going on 10 years or so. Yeah. 
In the early days, Tim, you introduced uh, uh, some ads of your own. And how did you feel about that? Why did you start using ads in your own case? So for quite a few years, the site just ran on its own. I didn't have any form of revenue stream, but uh, at one point just made the decision I had to uh, come up with some form of advertising to cover the cost as the site grew. As you know, as a site grows, as more bandwidth is consumed, as more processing power is consumed, your costs go up. And over time, I realized that I couldn't float it on my own anymore. So I had to make that decision. Somehow I had to get some revenue out of the site. And of course, online advertising is usually the first and easiest way to do that. So when you added the the ads to your website, how many hours do you think you were putting into your content every week or day? Oh, goodness, that goes back a while, but probably on an average two, three, four hours a day, I would be putting into the site in one form or another. And then it's completely justified as far as I can see. It was your side hustle. You were doing web design and other kinds of programming and odd jobs back then, right? Yeah, yeah, that's just it. So I was doing a lot of different things and uh, the site was consuming a lot of my time and not only that, but a lot of my own money as well. So it had gone sort of from a hobby. It had begun to build into something a little bit more right into ministry and it was becoming quite time consuming and then consuming money as well. So did you have a way of knowing what users were using ad blockers back then? Because those were in the early days for Google Analytics and I don't know if that kind of thing was showing up in our metric systems. Yeah, no, I don't think there was any way of knowing back then who was skipping the ads and who wasn't. Most people didn't know about it. So back then, I don't think a lot of people were. But quickly over time, people began to realize that they could have a much better experience of the internet if they would only chop out the ads. Right, exactly. Because there were Firefox extensions. This This predated Google Chrome. And I remember that when Firefox extensions became popular, it was usually because people wanted to colorize their their web browser frames and things like that. (laughs) But then some, yeah, became very popular overnight were those developers that were pushing ad blockers. And it just sounded like a haven of rest, right? Because with practically no effort, if you wanted to donate a couple of dollars to the developer who built the ad blocker, you could, but you could get it for free. Install it into Firefox and away you go. Just everything went cleaner. You had a cleaner Google.com experience. And then I don't think you could really use them over time on YouTube, but it was that was a, a feel like a thorn in your side, right? If you were using ad blockers across the web and they would just hide all the banner ads, the pop-ups, and the, uh, the other kinds that would appear, mm-hmm. you'd still encounter video ads. Right. And I'm, I don't know if there are any that block those. I don't think I've ever seen one. But it is a situation where once you kind of get used to ad blockers, the more invasive the ads feel when they do come along, like in the Facebook app or in the Twitter app or Instagram, mm-hmm. you can't escape them because you don't have the means to block ads within these particular apps on your mobile devices. Right. And, and even now, we have these ad blockers now for iOS that purge all the ads in your web browsing experience, but they're not going to get rid of the ads for the apps. Any any rate... I think there's a lot of people who feel completely justified blocking all ads all the time. There hasn't been a lot of people who made a cohesive argument of why they should have a moral objection for or against the ads. Right. You know, there are the advertisers that are fighting for them and they're going to start blocking the blockers. You know, Mm -hmm. we've already seen this where you visit a website. If you're running a blocker, then the website will tell you, you cannot run our website with your blocker running. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now, you haven't done that with your website, right? 
No, I haven't. And, and you probably haven't even stopped to think about doing it. No, I haven't done it. I don't even know how many people who visit my site use ad blockers. And honestly, I'm not sure that ad blockers would even, I now have one ad on my site and I'm not sure that ad blockers would block it. So, But you also have other ways to make revenue these days. Right. So partly because of ad blockers and also just because of the the whole, what happens with advertising is eventually you find that one ad isn't enough. And so you add multiple ads and soon a significant part of your website is covered in ads and they're all different and they just look ugly and they're annoying. So I decided to go to a sponsored post model instead where I have one small ad on the site and then the main form of advertising is a sponsored post, which corresponds to that little one banner ad I have, but that's a whole different form of advertising, which is very intrusive, very hard to avoid if you're a reader. But also I think if it's done well, really adds value to both the advertiser and to the reader. And that's, I think, the ideal scenario because you want to match the advertising to the content of the website. And you've been able to do this. And I've seen others who do this effectively. It's not unique to your field of interest, right? You're writing about Christian issues, Christian life, uh, theology, and literature, and so much more. But the, the sponsors you have attracted are people who wanted to address the same things. Right. There are people who are interested in in my readers who believe they have something that would interest those readers, of course. And then I vet the advertisers carefully and have said no to many just to say, I don't think that's a good fit. I don't think because I need to maintain the quality of the ads. And I actually sometimes will work with the advertiser to help them get their their sponsored posts to be better, to be more effective, because I really want this to be a, a win between all three parties, my, me as the, the site owner, the advertiser, and the reader. So I work hard to make sure that we have a good fit so that the readers aren't being annoyed by off-topic, ridiculous advertising. Instead, they're getting things that will really appeal to them. And I think I've had that advertisers say it's been a very, very effective means of advertising for them. And I've heard very little from readers who are annoyed by it. So I think for now, at this point, it's working. So do you run ad blockers for yourself on any of your devices? I do not. Now, have you? I have maybe... Seven or eight years ago, I did for a little while uh, before I really stopped to think about it and then wrote an article on the subject. Uh, But it's been many, many years. I really haven't even thought about it until recently when all the new information came up and I started reading some of that stuff and uh, about how ad blockers are hopefully going to make advertising in the end more effective. But I just haven't thought about it for some time. On your website, you said you meant you mentioned you had an article, and that was something that significantly influenced my take on ads mm. because at the time I was running the blockers from Firefox. We didn't have iPhones just yet, and the world though <laughs> wasn't necessarily simpler all of our all of our browsing was happening over our computers right and what I realized from reading your article was there is a unspoken agreement between the reader and the content creator and the advertisers. If we want the websites to stay in business, they have to produce the income somehow. And in most cases, websites cannot make money without some form of advertising. You're producing content like videos, podcasts, or written articles. You're providing information, Mm -hmm. perhaps entertainment, but usually you're not selling your own goods. Unless your, your website is a business website, and the only reason for writing blog posts is to remind people of what your goods and services are and your tricks of the trade and how people can get involved in your business. Right. But most people who have a standard website, 
they don't have a standard means of income. That is why advertising has filled the void for so long. The, this was the business model of many a publication long before websites. The thing was, though, with newspapers and magazines, it wasn't like you could invent an ad blocker. Every time, if a magazine was sold, it was also supplementally supported by the ads that were baked into the magazine. Right. You couldn't escape them. So that would drive the cost down for the readers and for the subscribers. But if those ads were not there, the prices would have gone up. Then if you look at the, the modern situation, I think what you drove home was as a Christian, you have a moral compass. You have a foundation for basically the idea of various forms of theft. And if you are taking the position that you can use the ad blockers, get the content and walk away, then you're not paying with anything to get that content. You're robbing uh, the content creators and the advertisers. Right. And that's tough, right? That's a very tough situation to be in. But I think that that's the moral dilemma is that's ultimately a form of stealing. Yeah. Well, and I think things get more complicated still when you start to realize that uh, advertisers have done a very poor job of, and publishers as well, have done a poor job of creating good ads when they do things like pop under ads or auto playing video or other things that are very disruptive and that really make the experience a miserable one, then that somehow gets added to the pile of considerations as well. And this is what people who use ad blockers say is, you know, I'm willing to see a banner ad or two, but when the site is covered with them and when they're flashing and when they're making noise and when they're just so obnoxious, and then you've got the whole dimension of cookies and that they're tracking me and that they're showing targeted advertising, that they know a whole lot about me. The whole situation becomes very muddled and very complicated. Do you think that for those reasons you might update your position on the issue? Because I, I've been tempted to. I've consistently not used the ad blockers now for a good long time, but now I go to many websites that are really useful. Yeah, they're ads and they're trackers that weigh down the content. The web pages are almost unbearable at times. Yeah. Well, I still see it as a moral dilemma where primarily I think I owe it to the people who create the sites to look at their ads, at least to have their ads accessible to me. I think that's the deal I make with a publisher. If I'm going to read their content, I've got to see their ads because that's how they get paid to create the content. If I stop looking at the ads, the site goes away. And I've, in a sense, I've had a role in doing that. Um, I think one of the interesting arguments for ad blockers is that you're forcing the issue you now because as more people block them the existing ads have to get a whole lot better and that's where some companies have said well now we're going to create a curated group of ads that will allow past our blockers if they meet our standards if they're good enough so i can see some long-term benefit there but it is quite a pragmatic argument to say i'm going to block ads and do something that i consider you know, on the, on the bounds of morality, I'll do that for now in hope of attaining the greater good. I, I'm not comfortable with that, even though that's what I want. I want the ads to get better. Hmm. So at present, I guess for our listeners who probably already have a solution, a great number of them are probably familiar with ad blockers, yeah. may already be running some. You don't need to feel guilty about it, but we do recommend that you stop to think about these things and find a reason for why you do or do not use the, the ad blockers. Mm -hmm. And mine is simply for the time being, agree with Tim, that we are taking something away from the content creators for free, which boils down to putting them out of business. 
and I don't want to be a part of that. I haven't bothered to install any of the popular blockers on iOS for my phone, my iPad, and I do suffer from the attention, the intrusiveness that is preyed upon my attention. So, it, but it's it's the price we pay, right? If we're going to use those websites, so maybe we just need to be more skillful about what websites we're going to use. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's a, an argument to be made that if you can't stand the experience, then just stop using the website. That might be hard if it offers certain content that's awfully important to you. But that's another way of, of forcing the issue. And one that I think is more within the bounds of morality is to get in touch and say, I'm not visiting your site because of this. And if enough people give that feedback, then they'll be forced to change and to come up with something that's less uh, in your face or less obnoxious. Mm. Okay, so moving on to another topic, Tim. Actually, hang on. I want, I want to throw one more thing out before we move on, which is, as a Christian, I can think about an issue like this and say, my conviction, based on my understanding of the Bible and just my own conscience, is I don't think I should use ad blockers. That sits well with me. But I do think there could be Christians out there who would come to the opposite conclusion, and I think that would be okay. So I wouldn't want to say the Bible says you must not use an ad blocker. I'm not comfortable saying that. Oh, absolutely. And I was actually going to get to that in relation to the next issue. Great. Because a lot of Christians or just morally minded people are very wary about their thought life. They want to be careful about what they put before them and what they're thinking about in the back of their minds. This is a big issue for the Bible. Jesus talked about it. And I know other religions care about this sort of thing as well, what they put in front of them. But it, for us, it's very specifically a concern for the Christian life because there are some things that we just shouldn't spend our minds thinking about. A lot of advertising leads to inappropriate desires. <laughs> and I, I, I don't want to over-spiritualize technology in this situation, but there's a lot of advertising that would uh, lead to an unproductive thought life. Mm. And it's something that I've even seen on websites that I cared about. Websites that... Uh, People, well-meaning people were running where they started using advertising where, oh, Tim, it just, it got worse. It got, it got bad in the last few years. Mm -hmm. You can tell what the business model is for the, the website's owners when you look at the quality of their ads. And when their ads are spammy, using sexuality to uh, allure you into a click, then what is going on? Like they're using uh, essentially soft porn and the like for getting you to use the advertising. Yeah, It's, it's kind of gross. It just leaves you with a sickening feeling. Yeah. And this is one of uh, the, the primary objections I could see with advertising of any sort, that if you want to block out the <laughs> disgusting advertisers, you would use ad blockers so that you'd never encounter those. Yeah. Those that are using basically soft porn to, to lure you in. Yeah. Well, one of the complications is that as advertising has grown, the advertisers are able to use uh, information they've collected on us to try and target ads to us. You and I are males, uh, middle-aged, or maybe a little on the the young side of middle-aged. So we are a prime target for those sexualized ads. And so I suspect what I see when I visit a site is probably quite different from what my wife sees when she visits a site when they have access to that information from Google, from Facebook, from wherever they're collecting it. And so you and I, I think, see a lot of that advertising just because of who and what we are. Mm. 
So the topic that we're getting into opening this can of worms, people, is the issue of online pornography. And this kind of goes back to the theme of our show. I want to address all the issues that we face now in the digital world. And this is a huge one. And this is going to be a sensitive issue because I know that it, what's very popular these days is for people to just do whatever is right in their own eyes, right? Yeah. So what I see most often is that it's not just there, it's actually commonly accepted, appreciated, and praised and glorified. Yep. <laughs> and that means if you're countercultural, then you're a freakazoid and they're going to hate you. <laughs> yeah. I expect to take a hit for bringing this up. Sure. So it is what it is. But I think it's important because I see this being an issue for my children that are six and seven. And well, heck, I mean, Tim, yeah. I want to demonstrate that if you want to cross out pornography from your life, you can and should do something about that. Yeah. If you're okay with pornography, then maybe you won't get anything out of this, what we're about to say. But Tim and I are, are not. I, I'm married. I'm very happily married, and I want to stay that way for a variety of reasons that both Tim and I share. I believe that sexual immorality is, um, you know, pornography is just one element of sexual immorality. So you have to be wary about what you put before your eyes and how you consume for entertainment and otherworldly pleasures a variety of porn. It, it also... It, it, there's other real, really good reasons besides spiritual ones that you may not want to have pornography in your life. One of those reasons is, is it can just tear apart families. It it can ruin children's de like early development and stunt their growth with, as you put it, Tim, porn adolescence, yep. where it kind of gives you into your your worldly desires and develops addictions that are stuck with you for life. There's also the issue that it's just a huge cost to your time. The more that you consume, the more of your life you're wasting away in a really depraved sort of way, objectifying people in just, I think it's an inherently disgusting sort of way. Yeah, I fully agree that pornography is, it's a real plague in our society. And I, I firmly believe a day will come when we will look back on 21st century Western culture and say, what were they thinking in allowing that? By then, we'll have a lot more information about the number of people who are involved in pornography who are essentially in a form of sex slavery, how many are forced into it or raped into it, and just what it's doing to us, how it's changing society, how it's changing culture. You can't have something so prominent in society and have it be meaningless and not have it change people. I've been around the world to speak on pornography. Everywhere I go, I give the same challenge, which is if you are between the ages of 18 and 25 and have never once voluntarily gone looking for pornography, please come and speak to me uh, after the presentation. I just love to hear from you. And after doing that before literally thousands and thousands of people all around the world, I've never once had a young man come up to me. So that to me, that's just an ongoing demonstration of how prominent pornography is. So you can't suddenly add this to society in this volume and expect that it won't change anything. It is changing us. We're becoming a pornified society. And most all of the pornography is rampant on the internet. I don't know mm -hmm. that many people who would bother with other means to get to their pornography because it's so readily available. And so, well, it's, it's readily available. It's free online. 
So why would you pay for it? Uh, so the problem here is, I, I think there's a little bit of hypocrisy among the people who are opposed to advertising, because I bet you anything, a good number of those people have problems with pornography or don't have problems with pornography. They'll have a problem with the advertising that they don't want to see, mm -hmm. but they'll set something else before them that is a major stumbling block and time waster and objectification of men and women. Yeah. It's an oxymoron. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I kind of compare pornography today to being like the buffet on a cruise ship. You're on the cruise ship and it's there. You got the buffet, it's free. You can eat all you want and you get off the cruise ship and you're you're chubby. You've put on a little bit of weight. And of course you have, right? Pornography is like that. It's just there. It's it's available in infinite measures, far more than you could ever consume. And so people are taking advantage of it. They are enjoying it. They are immersing themselves in it. But Tim, I think a lot of people feel that in our age that the pornography is just so widely rampant that there's no way around it. They're never going to get around it. So they throw up their arms in defeat and they start to consume it. And because it's culturally acceptable, we laugh it off, mm -hmm. we glorify it. It shows up in the daytime and evening sitcoms as something that we can kid about. Yeah. So it's culturally accepted. There's no you know, laws that are actually preventing it in most countries. So it just keeps on going. Mm -hmm. And then you don't, and by default, uh, parental controls are not just turned on for children's devices to protect them from what they might stumble across on Google Images. So I think, though, that your ideas and others, this doesn't all go back to Tim, but you've sorted out a great many ideas as to how individuals and families can prevent more exposure to pornography in their lives and ultimately try to eliminate it. Go like, as you say, porn free as a family. Yes. How do you, this is an insurmountable task if you ask me, because by default, all the porn is accessible when you start up a computer or a phone for the first time. Right. Well, the, the average first aid, first age of exposure to pornography has been plummeting over the last few years. And some people would say it's now down to eight or 10 or 11 years old or something where both boys and girls from a very young age are stumbling into it or being deliberately exposed to it, usually by a friend or something like that. So whatever else is happening, our kids, when they're very young, are now being exposed to pornography. So whatever else you think, surely you've got to agree that you want to protect your kids until they're at least old enough to understand what sexuality is. I don't think we want eight or nine-year-old children to be seeing hardcore bondage pornography and to be thinking that that is a representation of pornography. So no matter what your view on adults and pornography is, I still think you need to see that we've got to be doing something, that every family has to be putting some measures in place to protect their kids at least for a time. Uh, for me, I believe pornography is wrong for all of us all of the time. And so my plan is to put blocks in place to protect my children while they're young and over time to teach them the danger and then to, to let them free and to say, great, I've taught you, I've trained you. I'm not going to micromanage you for the rest of your life. So you now have to make your own decisions. But I hope that what I've taught you is, is good and is wise and is helpful and that you abide by it. That's what we do as parents, right? We teach and train our children and hope that they follow our example. That is the way to go. 
And we'll get into some of the details about how you've approached discipling your children and teaching them in this regard and training them in the way they should go in a minute. But how did you come at it yourself? Did anyone, did your parents come alongside you and discuss pornography and disciple you in this issue when you were coming along? Like most parents, I don't think most parents will, even well-meaning Christian ones. I was raised in a conservative home, was home-educated all the way through, and my parents never spoke to me about pornography. Yeah, And so I figured it out on my own, and it was rough, and I regret a lot of the things that happened in my past. But I had to disciple and discipline myself to really practice self-control. Yeah. Well, I think we're living in a different, we are living in a different age right now. So when I grew up, I was born in 76, I'm 38 years old. And when I grew up, I was part of that original digital generation. So I was young when computers came along in the 80s. Everybody started saying, hey, you got to have a computer in your home, right? So my parents, like all the other parents, went out and bought a computer. And then the 90s came along and everyone said, you got to get the internet. This thing's the future, right? So my parents hooked up the computer to the internet. And like most boys, it didn't take me too long to start finding stuff online that I enjoyed far more than I should have. So my parents didn't protect me from porn because they just had no idea. This was new technology. Somehow back then, I mean, you look at it from our perspective and you say, if you take all the 15-year-old boys in the world and you wire them together on the internet, what's going to happen? Porn is going to happen, right? It's just inevitable. But at the time, as this technology was unfolding and being discovered, people just weren't thinking about that. And so my parents didn't know they had to protect me, that they weren't aware of it. But now you and I, we are in the age now where we're raising kids and we know. And so I think there's a lot of hope. I think there's a lot of encouragement we can find just by, just by that fact that we're wise to what's on the internet. And we want to protect our children. We want to to disciple our children. We want to make sure they have more training, more awareness than we did. So I think there's great reason to be confident that we can really put measures in place individually and then just generally globally that will protect our kids. A lot of it is your worldview. A lot of it is what you believe in and what you think is right and wrong and what price you're willing to pay for doing something you believe is wrong. It, this is difficult for a lot of people because if the if the Bible is wrong, then nothing is right or wrong. If you don't have a firm foundation on something substantive, an authority about what is sexually moral and what is sexually deviant, then you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And but then again, maybe you just do whatever you want to do, and you keep it private. You have a, a private life. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people. A lot of Christians don't really allow for their their convictions to sink in and become a a core part of their lifestyle. So when you go on the internet, you're doing a simple Google search. Like I was reading, I was reading one of your articles the other day and you pointed out how it'd be really easy for a child to just go to Google and search for naked girls. Right. Just because they were curious. You know, just curious. Not not actually trying to get at anything harmful, right. but just curious. And that makes sense. You know, when child uh, children are ignorant, like curiosity can really <laughs> bite them back. They're curious and we've taught them from a young age that Google is the answer to all your all your questions. So when I was young I remember one of my friends in school getting out the Encyclopedia Britannica and looking up the word sex. You know, that was okay because he was going to get a very encyclopedic, non-picture, non-pictorial response. And he 
learned about sex from Encyclopedia Britannica, and that was okay. Today, if you look it up on the internet, you're into a world of, of problems. So something has changed in the media. And the, well, the issue I have is that I just went over to Google because I haven't thought about it in ages. And I typed in just the word girls and chose Google image search. And I didn't get anything explicit and I didn't have safe, safe search on, which is a simple little button you can toggle for safe search on and off. And I presumed that it would help to kind of guard some of the things that would pop up in the results. But what was funny to me was there were some inappropriate pictures. They weren't full on nudity, but they were sensual. They were things that I'm not comfortable with. You know, the kind of stuff that you would see in the, the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue or the inappropriate Halloween costumes. And ultimately, just the kind of thing that I think that debases women. So I turned Safe Search on and it didn't make a lick of difference. The results were the same. Yeah. And that just kind of struck me as odd. And this is why uh, perhaps more so than just adding disciplines to your life and practicing self-control, uh, you've gone to links to describe and recommend a couple of pieces of software and the like that you can do on your computers to prevent accidentally stumbling upon things. Right. The, the blockers, pornography blockers, have they're not as well developed as ad blockers, in my no, opinion. No, they aren't. They're very difficult to use. Like there's OpenDNS, where I began to read about OpenDNS and how you would set it up. And it's immediately something kind of technical that would go over a lot of people's heads that are just not very tech savvy. Right. And it's installing something into your router. Well, what is my router and how do I get to it? Oh, there's that password and thing on the back of the black box. Well, where is that thing? You know, it, it turns into a chore, but it's something that's relatively important if you want to keep certain things away from your children and from yourself. What do you have running in your home right now, Tim? Open DNS, we have that installed on the router, which sounds like a complicated thing, but it's actually just changing one little setting. And if you can't figure it out, you just get your smart nephew or neighbor over or something to do it for you. It's very simple. And then we use Covenant Eyes as well. So I see those as being two different things. Open DNS proactively filters what you're seeing. And so hopefully it cuts out some of the worst things. If someone from my family tries to pull up Playboy site, it's going to automatically block it and just say, no, this, you're not allowed to see this. And then we also use Covenant Eyes. And Covenant Eyes is reactive in that it just collects a, a list of the sites you've been to and then sends a report. So once a week, I get a report from uh, e what each of my kids has seen. And that way, I'm hopefully the software is blocking the worst of it. And then if anything else is getting through, I'm aware of it. That, that I know it can sound kind of creepy and it really hasn't been an issue so far. My kids aren't out looking for bad stuff, but that's the measure I put in place so I can keep tabs on them. And I do that because I want to disciple them. I want to help them. I want them to avoid things that they will find destructive or addictive and to, to train them of the, the danger that's out there. Hmm. So would you recommend this particular setup to everyone? I mean, like I've seen the, the, what you have there on the website and yeah. it looks like a reasonable plan. Yeah, I really do recommend it. And in the second edition of my book, The Next Story, that came out a few months ago, there's a whole chapter dedicated to this plan. And I think it's it's been effective in my own family. So I can say experientially, it has worked well. I know of quite a lot of other people who have implemented it, and it's been effective as well. It's 
But you have to understand that the heart of the whole thing is not the technology. It's the, the FaceTime with your kids. It's spending time with your kids, teaching and training them. So we, we always have in our back in the back of our minds that if technology causes a problem, technology can solve the problem. And to some degree, that's true. We're using the technology of open DNS and the technology of covenant eyes to hopefully mitigate some of the problems that come with the technology of computers and internet. But the heart of the issue is still the human heart, which is what desires, is what's looking for the, those things, what longs for the pornography. So that's where just meeting with your kids and training your kids, helping them to see themselves as they are, helping them to understand what God requires of them. That's really the heart of it all. So all those other measures eventually will fail. Sooner or later, they'll get on a connection without blockers in place, or somebody will show them something. In that moment, it's what's going on inside that will equip them to deal with that kind of issue. Yeah, that's the thing, though. I think that that's the most powerful way to approach it, to train yourself, to discipline yourself, to be ready for the situation of what if a friend shows me something on their iPad? What happens if I'm in the, the library and I look over and I see something inappropriate? And what if it's just, you know, an innocent jaunt through Netflix and you saw something you thought was one thing and it turned out to be something else very different. Right. It happens. And that there aren't ad blockers for, or sorry, pornography blockers for everything. Nope. The various devices these days, besides your simple web browser on a computer or your mobile device, like those on the, the video game consoles and your Apple TV or your Amazon Fire TV which are going to become more and more popular. You'll have just a variety of means to the content. And the same thing about television. You know, I think that one of the smartest things you can do in a concerned household is be wary of what you're paying for on cable in the networks. Right. We haven't ever had cable in our home. We haven't ever had antenna television-based content simply because I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to avoid ads entirely. Yeah, so did we. We made the same decision for the same reason. So we would yeah, we would rent DVDs through Netflix and if we wanted to pick up a box set of a television show or a movie, then we would do that and then we would just be able to avoid all the advertising and potential problem content as a whole. I think the, the heart of it is just being aware of the issue, being aware of the abundance of pornography out there. And it's not just pornography, it's tracking, it's all kinds of things. There's there's lots that goes on on the internet that is concerning. Snapchat, the, the fact that today teens seem to feel the need to take naked pictures of themselves as part of their courtship rituals or dating rituals. It's it's a whole new world. So parents have to educate themselves. They have to know what their kids are doing with their devices. And then parents can teach their kids to use these devices well. I see it like teaching your children to drive a car. You don't just hand them the keys the day they get their learner's permit and send them out and say, go have fun and you know, make sure you, you have the car back in the driveway by midnight. You, you teach them, you train them. As they prove themselves capable, as they prove themselves able, you, you give them a little bit more. And over time, you free them up. And I think it's very much the same here. You teach them, you train them, and eventually you just you just let them go and trust that the, the teaching and training will be effective. Thank you very much, Tim. Wh- where do you want people to find you online if they want to study more of these things or just check out your other work? Yeah, so they can go to chalice.com. That's C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S.com. There's lots to read there, lots of articles. And then if this particular issue is important to you, I've written a book called The Next Story, and that's about Christians or living as a Christian in a digital world. There's a whole chapter in the second edition, the softcover edition, about protecting your family. 
And then if pornography is an issue, I've written a book called Sexual Detox, A Guide for Guys Who Are Sick of Porn. I wrote several years ago, and you may find that helpful just in helping you understand what pornography is all about and giving you hope that life will be better if you just get rid of it. Okay. Well, this will complete episode 27 of Tectonic. Visit tectonic.fm slash 27 for the show notes and the links. If you want to connect with either me or Tectonic or our co-host, Joshua Pfeiffer, we are at Tectonic FM on Twitter. I'm underscore Joe Darnell. And Joshua is at Joshua Pfeiffer. His last name spelled P-E-I-F-F-E-R. If you want to help us out, give us a star rating or a review on iTunes because that always gives the show more exposure and more people discover it. I'm Joe Darnell. Thanks for listening to Tectonic. Tectonic.